0: Premarital counseling is a relatively standard practice for Christian couples. It helps arm them with a better understanding of who they're going to be together. The importance of this counseling is a great indicator for marital success and serves to highlight some of the areas of improvement that would best serve the couple entering into this most holy union. Yet, it's not something we would have passed. Today on The Faithful Family Fortress, we share some of our early marriage testimony and reflect on the miracle that we are still together.
1: Do you want to experience more intimacy in your marriage through time in God's Word and praying together, but find yourself spending more time scrolling and binging TV? Do you desire to lead your children to know, love, and serve the Lord, but don't even know where to begin? Do you want to incorporate more Jesus into everyday family life, but don't seem to have enough time nor bandwidth for it after all of your adulting? Hi, we are Robbie and Sasha Robertson, and we are so excited that you're here with us on the Faithful Family Fortress podcast. We know the distance between your desires and current lifestyle seems impossible to overcome, but you're not alone. As first-generation believers, we are on a journey to discover what it means and looks like to do life with Jesus. It was a struggle to put down the habits our fellow millennials and culture have been so comfortable with and instead seek to live a more fruitful life. We're here to help build Christ-centered, faithful families by bringing mindfulness into your marriage, purpose into your parenting, and humility into the shared responsibility of homemaking. So fire up that pot of coffee, share an earbud with your spouse, and let's get busy with today's episode here on the Faithful Family Fortress Podcast. It was a miracle, like really, like looking back, we had no business getting married at all. We were super young and not just like in age, but like our maturity level was really young. I mean, I was about to be a staff sergeant in the Air Force. You were like, you were working at the bank, which was great. You had a job, but like you were just out of high school for not even a couple of years yet. And we thought we had it all figured out. Like we thought we were so smart and we were like nowhere near really ready to be in that kind of a committed relationship with other people like do up to you... that point up to that point the longest relationship i'd ever been in was three months
0: do you remember why we got married
1: yeah it was really hurried while we got married um actually i want to get i want to kind of like dance around it and then get to the point i remember telling you i'm going to date you until you're 80 like i had no intention of getting married no part of me ever wanted to get married but the military as always I was uh I knew that my time up in Alaska was getting short I had a four-year assignment it was like the end of year three when we met and I'm like well they don't ship military girlfriends anywhere else I'm gonna end up somewhere other than here and my last base I left I tried to do this the distance thing with a girl that I met there not too long before I left we you and I'd been together way longer than I'd ever been with her and like, it just, it flat out didn't work. I'm like, distance things don't work. I, I figured that much out. So it's like, well, better get off the pot and get married. And that, that kind of, I think we've been through the whole beginning of our marriage story a little bit. We can review some of it, but that was when I actually proposed because I saw the, the, the bottom coming up at me with my, my assignment here in Alaska. And it was either, well, either take a chance and try it with this girl or start over from square one. And I, admittedly, I never really met anybody I liked as much as I like you.
0: Well, I'd hope so.
1: (laughs) I mean, that was like 15 years ago. It went from three months, three months, three months to 15 years. And it was, uh, yeah, but it was kind of hurried. Because I knew that it was like within a year of that last assignment, or the year to the end of the assignment, the orders. And I was like, well i need to propose now we'd already been dating for a year so we gave it a year but we never really even talked to anybody
0: you proposed to me on our one year anniversary dating
1: yeah and then the next day, that the volcano went off,
0: and it was because you you knew that you were going to PCS soon. Yeah, I think we had kind of had that conversation too, because you're always like, "I'm never getting married. I'm never getting married. We're going to be together for seven years, and it'll be common law marriage." But I'm never getting married. And then I remember having conversations about like, "You're in the military. You're going to leave," yeah. and I was like, "I'm not. I'm not leaving my home with a boyfriend."
1: like yeah you pressed me with some some global statements and some ultimatums at the time which some of them were justified some of them were i think a little unfair but all of it kind of at the time i guess was needed that's who we were in that season the was that i was 19 years
0: old when we met
1: you were 19 for like okay Let's i was not 20 get carried away.
0: i was 20 years old when you proposed to me
1: yes we met when you were nineteen, right before your twentieth birthday. You were basically twenty. I was twenty three. I was barely I'm only four years older than you. <laughs> it's weird; a four years just seems like so much longer when you're young. Mm-hmm. Like you see, like a couple now, and they've oh, we've been married fifty years. How old are you? Well, I'm sixty three, and my wife's fifty nine. You're like, oh, it's basically nothing.
0: You're um, the same age when,
1: when you're yeah, but when you're like nineteen and twenty three, that's like the difference of like college, you know. You were a freshman Mm -hmm. in high school the year I graduated. Yeah.
0: I remember when I was a freshman, I had a crush on a senior. Oh, and then you married a senior. And Mm -hmm. he was so much older than me.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of weird how that happens. But, yeah, you hit me with some of those. Oops. Some of those. (laughs) Sorry, I'm messing with stuff in our office. I shouldn't be messing with. It's late. But we're going to have a good conversation anyways. It was... um, it, it was time. It was a, well, I don't want to put it too crass, but it was a it was a decision point. Some people would say it was time to uh, carry out a particular act or get off the pot. I'm going to leave it at that.
0: You can say poop.
1: I, I pooped off the pot. So <laughs> I, There's
0: an emoji for it.
1: I guess I pooped. Is that what I did?
0: You did. You were 45 minutes late to our wedding, Robbie.
1: Well, okay. Well, that's a different stuff. <laughs> Why you got to bring up old poop? <laughs> Why you got to bring up old poop?
0: Anyway, back to the point of topic here. Um we just just a reminder, we were not believers when we got married. Um I grew up in a non-believing home for I don't even know how many years my family decided to go to the Mormon church. I think maybe when I was like six years old we started going there okay until i was maybe like 13 or 14 maybe not even
1: oh the secret was... underwear conversation I forgot. and about
0: then that. we're not talking about that and then um <laughs> robbie grew up how what kind of church
1: catholic yeah so one of my stepdads was methodist and mom's side of the family was all catholic fairly devout my biological father was catholic too but we didn't really hang out too much and then my second stepdad was, like, non-denominational, more like. So it was kind of like the smorgasbord of, like, basic Christianity. But nobody could ever really settle on, like, any sort of, like, doctrine. So they just didn't address it at all. So Like, did
0: you go to church ever?
1: I went to Saturday night mass with my great-grandfather when he was alive when I was a kid. Because he died when I was 16. So grade school era. Yeah, he was born in 1909. He was, like quite old he was like 91 when he passed away in 2000 he and he would take me to church saturday night to a church called saint joseph's in norwich connecticut and the reason i went with him on saturday night is because the saturday night was in english the sunday morning was in polish and you already can't understand anything being spoken in a catholic church because it just reverberates off the walls hmm and then having it be in a language that you don't understand, that's like sleep juice for a kid. I mean, there's there's no way to pay attention to that stuff. Um, but that was like the only real experience I had besides a friend that I would like tag along with to wana, And then for some reason, my folks got really uncomfortable with that. And that stopped. So, yeah, that was kind of my experience. I had a question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. So, yes, correct. We were non-believers when we first got together and we have these kind of complicated spiritual pasts with our parents and our families. At any point, did you not believe that there was like a God? I don't
0: even know if I would say spiritual. I would say religious.
1: Just religious in general. But like at any point, did you ever believe there wasn't a God? Like I've always believed that he was there even when I wasn't really following him. I kind of always knew in the back of my head, like, I'm going to connect with you one day, but. I'm just not doing it today.
0: Mm, so for me, that I think that's why I would say religious was because even when we did go to church for, you know, part of my childhood, it was never a conversation about relationship. Okay. I remember going to church. I think the biggest thing that I remember from going to church was John 3, 16. I knew that Jesus Christ was the son of God and he came and died and rose again to save us from our sins. And that was like the basic, like, I remember that, but I didn't know really what that meant. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that, that, that allowed us to have a relationship with God. I didn't know. I didn't even really like even prayer at my like young age of understanding. And like all the way through when I met you was, um, I I don't even think I really understood that. In fact, I remember when we were dating, I think this was before we even got married or maybe right after we got married. I remember um, my grandmother sending me a Bible. I remember that. And I was mad about it.
1: I remember. I actually remember you being infuriated about that
0: i was just like, really? Haven't even talked to you in like however many years, and you're just gonna up and mail me a Bible? And then I was I was really mad because it had red letters in it. Like I was like, oh, now you're gonna tell me what what stuff's the important stuff in here, or whatever Not even else? Like Jesus is talking. It was just like I was I was so lost, y'all. I was so lost, man. I so, I just
1: remember like the unrighteous indignation, and I think the core of it, and in fairness to your indignation at that time i think it was like your grandmother was trying to pull like a holier than thou move on you
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: i think that was like the vibe that you had not that she cared about you or wanted you to have like a very important tool in your toolbox going forward you just kind of took it as like a slight and that just goes to show like that that's a testament to like where we were at because i was Mm -hmm. right there with you i was like yeah man forget that lady that who's going to send you a bible like oh did she think she is like at no point were we like well, we'll see what's going on in here like hey these letters mm-hmm. are in red I wonder, I wonder what that's about what what's this guy talking about here
0: no it wasn't even like any interest in opening it or anything like i was so lost and broken at the time like i can't even fathom really so much of it but in terms of our marriage like i remember so much of that you know yeah um
1: and then getting into our marriage too like like that first year was like
0: well well first i remember when you proposed to me like we had been dating a year yep and most of the people when i like sent a text message out was like i'm engaged uh the response was we'll give it a year
1: i've fairly certain there was a betting pool among the people that were quote-unquote i'm air quoting you know friends the peer group that we interacted with on a regular basis i'm fairly confident they had a betting pool of like how long it would actually last like i think they had zero confidence in us
0: and praise god i bet every single one of them lost that bet
1: so far so good
0: (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah but i just remember that we'll give it a year we'll give it a year like and it's crazy to even think like how our marriage started, right? Because when I, m- I moved in with you, I was like paying you rent and we were still very separate on a lot of things, even though we were married. And then you did get orders and we moved overseas and it was like suddenly things couldn't be separate anymore because I was essentially your accessory is what i was like That is what it turns into i was into. That's i how was wire it. a nobody like i couldn't get a job there we couldn't afford even a second car for me for a while and i literally sat at home all day waiting for you to come home from work or i would get up early to drive you to work in order to have the car And then...
1: Oh, that was before you did the early wake-up thing, too. That was, like, a big deal. I had
0: to entertain myself throughout the day, basically without spending money, because we were broke, as a joke.
1: Yeah, we were super broke and moved to England. It was just expensive living there. And then the move itself was tough. Like, logistically, there was all of that. But, like, there was no manual on, like, how to do that. Thankfully, we didn't have a kid at the time. The, The benefit of having a kid, I suppose, would have been, you'd have had something to do. That's so why really... we got a dog. Yeah, that's why we got Dora. I miss that dog. She was a good dog. I remember that conversation, too. We don't need to get into that too much. But basically, if you deploy and we don't have a dog, we will have one when you get home. So you might as well be <laughs> in the decision-making process. I don't
0: remember that conversation. I but do. It's so funny the things you remember that I don't.
1: I'm sure you remember a lot of stuff I forget or don't know or realize. Like where this tool went or where something is like in a shop. Anyways, we can move on from that.
0: I remember like early on in our marriage though, what was, it? I went to counseling. I don't even remember why I went to counseling initially. In this, England? No, this was when we were still here.
1: Before England? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow.
0: And I went and talked to a counselor on base. It was right after we were married and he's like, oh, well how's your communication with your spouse? I'm like, it's great. Oh, yep, this, it's this it's great no yeah. complaints and he's like oh well, what are your plans for kids and we're like oh we don't talk about kids because like
1: yeah, this Rob- was our premarital counseling
0: <laughs> Robbie says as soon as we got married like i went from i'm never having kids to my uterus catching on fire is how he would describe it and he was like i'm nowhere near ever wanting to have kids so anytime we'd have the conversation he'd shut it down like instantly so we don't talk about having kids and then the next question that he asked, the counselor asked was, well, how are your conversations about money? Yeah. We don't talk about money either. (laughs) Like you have your finances. I have my finances. We had an agreed upon like way to go about them. Whereas like I paid you a certain amount for rent and like, and I covered certain expenses and then you covered certain expenses. So well,
1: in my mind at that point in time, it was about like fiscal responsibility. We're both in this. I wasn't trying to carry you. I was carrying some like I was carrying some damage, damaged mindsets and thoughts into the marriage Um based on oh, yeah. like other women that had been involved in the past in my life and how they basically would just find a male that they could attach on to and then say, okay, well, done work and now I don't have to do anything anymore. And that was not a place that I was gonna put myself into. It's like, no, if you're gonna be here in this marriage with me or in the this relationship, you're you're gonna kick in and share. You're part of this. Like, you're part of the outgo. You're gonna be part of the income. That was like my, my thought at the time.
0: Right. I don't and, think it manifested too well. So for one, can I just say now... I do do that. You take, which is like, hmm, you take care of maybe. my kids. But but also like kids at home, right? But I also have my business. And then you're like, I wish you just wouldn't do that. I wish you would just be a mom and take care of the kids. Like It's so funny how you, it's like, it's just a testimony, right? Of how you went from that to like where you're at now. Where it's you're like, you don't have to do all of this extra and, like, all of this crazy work on the side. But in terms, going back in terms of the mindsets you were talking about, <laughs> at the beginning, you said <laughs> these mindsets about other women. No, you tried to have me sign a prenup. I did. For your 91 Honda Del Sol. It was a 93.
1: <laughs> it was a 93 honda del sol s it was named tic tac and i love that car
0: (laughs) i remember that now i was just thinking about that and i was like
1: up until that point i had a longer relationship with that car than any woman in fairness it was my one material possession that i really cared about
0: i understand and you had your condo and i remember that you asked me to marry you and then it was like a week later you're like oh yeah my mom thinks i should have you sign a prenup and i was like for your honda
1: (laughs) I love that car. (laughs) I
0: was like, what the heck? So for myself, like I am very blessed. Both of my parents are still married like today. And I don't know why, I guess, but for me going into marriage was like you, I, you literally say till death do us part. I remember when we went to the Mormon church, my parents were living in sin because they were not married And they essentially like had to get married to still go to the church or like to become
1: living in sin.
0: (laughs) Like basically that's what they told them. And um and so they had to get married. And so I was there at their wedding. I was the flower girl. And and I don't know if it was there or movies or whatever, but the till death do us part stood out to me. And so when you're asking me to sign a prenup, I'm like, this is what movie stars that are like getting divorced. Two weeks later, or like six months later, do. Like, for one, you don't have anything that matters that much.
1: Ouch. (laughs) For two, I can't address all this, by the way. For
0: two, I was like, I'm not going into marriage with the intent of divorcing. So to me, that was like, that was the core of it. I was like, if you want me to sign a prenup before we get married, that's like basically you saying you're protecting yourself for when we get divorced. And if we get married, I'm not planning on getting divorced, so we need to come to a common understanding of what marriage is or we shouldn't be doing this. And I remember having that conversation of, like, you need to check what marriage is to you because this is what it is to me.
1: Yeah, because marriage to me at that point, there were, like, two big definitions that were, like, in my head, and both of them revolved around divorce. Uh, The example that had been set to me is that, like, my parents – my mom has been divorced twice. She's three husbands. I have two stepdads. And that was like the example that was set to me. And people that stayed married forever, that was the old generation. That was our grandparents, you know. People in my parents' generation and my generation, everybody got divorced. I couldn't name people that just stayed married that were younger. It was just the way. So when you got married, it was just a matter of time before that exploded. That's just, that's just how it, that's just how it went. Teachers I went to school with would get divorced. I mean, a teacher that would be one last name my seventh grade year, my eighth grade year, she'd be a different last name. Like that was reality for me. And then the horror stories of the guys in the military where they would like, they'd go to tech school or something, they'd get married to some gal and then their life would have this nuclear explosion where she'd take his house and his truck and his all the kids, turn the kids against him, take all of his money, take his retirement, and it was because she cheated on him while he was, like, serving his country, deployed in another location, and you just hear that narrative over and over again. And all I can think of is, like, protect yourself. Don't do it at all. Don't get into this. Like, the fact that I even, like, proposed to you was like, boggles my mind that i even got to that point and then after i did i was like well i want to be with you but like i went into it with a lot of fear of these things and it was like i just need to protect myself Mm. for what little i have one thing i've learned along the way too and this is maybe not healthy but just because you don't have anything doesn't mean somebody's not going to try to take it and, like, that that's how, like, that was the mindset and the heartset that I had, like, literally going into it. I thought that you were just going to be my first ex-wife.
0: And it almost happened many times. Like It
1: almost happened a month after we got married, which didn't really well, help my, did, didn't really help your case and didn't really help my mindset. I
0: don't know if it's a month after we got married. It wasn't like, long. We got married April 25th.
1: Mm-hmm perfect date it is the perfect date well he needs to um, check it
0: on a mountain top i don't know if we shared this in the episode before where we talked about kind of a little bit of our history but it was like gorgeous weather the first couple of weeks of april and then um here in alaska which is like not usually normal And so we decided, oh, yeah, we're going to get married up on the mountaintop. And it was 50 mile an hour winds and blowing snow when we got married up on the mountaintop. But when we came back down, it was nice when we were like grilling burgers in the garage for our reception. Broke. Fast forward to what was it? Five months later, we got married on our cruise. Yeah. So we must have been
1: married close to a year when we moved to England.
0: We were. We had our first anniversary in Bruges.
1: In Bruges. That's right.
0: Um. So five months later, we're on the cruise and we get married. And after the, like, it was technically a vow renewal because it was cheaper. Broke. <laughs> and um,
1: dude, we are like broke folk to the max.
0: And so, but it still included an hour of hot and cold hors d'oeuvres and open bar, after, like as a reception after the vow renewal. And I was getting my money's worth. <laughs> And, um, yeah,
1: you got drunk at like economic speed.
0: (laughs) Robbie, like it was, we, we wanted to divorce each other so bad that night because like I was a drunken hot mess and, um, he was really irritated with me and was like, what did I just do? I think it's like kind of your main thought. And I was like sick as a dog and like, you were like up. Out looking at the stars like on the cruise deck and i was like dying in our little room and i was like i married this man and he doesn't even want to take care of me and i was just thinking of um the wedding singer our the song that we danced to at our like actual wedding in alaska five months earlier and i was like he does not want to take care of me when i'm sick and so in hindsight didn't want to take care of
1: you and you were like hyper obnoxious
0: again all of this rampant sin in our lives and and thank god for the lord bringing us through that but then again fast forward i don't know i guess it was another six months later we moved to england it was like march 9th i think it was 6th something like that
1: it was the day the dog was born we figured out Mm. but i just can't remember she was born on the 9th but then that was the day we arrived
0: oh well anyways it was a month later was my birthday april 4th mm-hmm and then a couple of weeks after that was our our anniversary and we went to Bruges Bruges, Belgium. before we even had our first anniversary it was like around about my birthday. It was before my birthday. we it were was. we weren't even in England a month. We were in England like two or three weeks. So again this season where we like had one car, I had no job, essentially no purpose. like I just up and left everything that I knew to move to a foreign country. thank God they spoke English with in England
1: how convenient (laughs) how
0: convenient with Robbie with you and I remember it had to be one of the days that I drove you to work and I had the car and I went grocery shopping while you were at work and I went to the gym because it was free and I remember I spent 86 dollars at the commissary to get us groceries. And it was like, for the whole week, I was so excited to tell you, like, I got all of these different things. And these are all the different meals that I'm going to make. And like, you got mad at me for spending this money at the commissary. And it it just had to be like, not a miscommunication but a very different departure in values or expectations or something because like, like was this was value. the first time anyone else had ever spent your money That's I think. true. and Only it turned into alert. this huge fight and i literally asked for a plane ticket home for my birthday
1: over one fight i mean it was we
0: hadn't even been married a year like
1: yeah i mean we we'd had we've always had scuffles and fights but this was like like you're saying it was like a value set thing and like the the nerve connected to the wallet is one of the most sensitive in the body (laughs) and i was an only child and my parents were like not fiscally responsible by my mind like i didn't even have a credit card when we met in fact my first credit card you applied for
0: Mm, yes are you sure
1: 100 percent sure Like, without doubt, yes. I thought
0: your first credit card was Best Buy. or Yeah, I thought it was Best Buy.
1: Mm -mm. It's about the Kohl's card I accidentally applied for that one time. Because I was silly.
0: Mm, That was after Best Buy.
1: I had a Best Buy card?
0: You did. Huh. Because you applied for the Kohl's card when we were visiting my parents in utah in christmas of 2012 yeah
1: i like misjudge that this is like just me being silly like i just misjudged that card as being like uh like a store like points card like you'd get like fred meyer or something i didn't realize it was like a full-on credit card until like after the fact like i don't know how I was that dumb i do dumb things sometimes like anyways. for as intelligent as i am i screw that up anyways
0: This conversation is not about credit or debt or money. It's about...
1: Well, it is about money because that is a subject matter that most people should be on the same page about before they get married, Mm -hmm. which we were not on. And that's something that would typically get covered in...
0: Premarital counseling. counseling.
1: The thing we didn't do. Did we say it's a miracle that we're still together?
0: (laughs) So, even that being said, Robbie. We've talked about a lot of the beginning of our marriage, the first year of our marriage and just how terrible it was and how immature we were. And we were both living so far apart from the Lord and all these different circumstances that just made it even crazier. And honestly, there's probably at least a dozen times in our first year of marriage that we probably should have been divorced because we didn't even communicate about some of the biggest things that take place when to become one, (laughs) you know, when you get married, we didn't even understand what marriage was in all honesty. Now, over a decade and a half later, like knowing the Lord, knowing what the Bible says about marriage, knowing about becoming one flesh, knowing about respecting and loving one another and so much more, like we didn't know any of that. And all these different things that went on the first year primarily but honestly all this crap kept on for a long time um
1: it seemed like we had like a like the first year was more just like a live-in mutual punching bag more than like a support (laughs) system
0: yeah almost but i want to talk about the actual testimony aspect of it. Like, where did we turn it around? Let's move this conversation forward from, like, all of the mess that it was to, like, where did it change?
1: Well, there were... I think it wasn't any one watershed moment. I think it was a lot of tiny decisions that were made along the way. A lot of, like, just things that we would do. I, I remember... I remember looking back and my, uh, my stepdad had actually told me at one point, it's always better to work it out. Like no matter how difficult things got, it was almost always better to work it out. And I think living in another country, it just raised that watermark a little bit higher to where the prospect of getting divorced wasn't convenient. You didn't have really any support system around you which is like kind of counterintuitive. Like I feel like if you had somebody that you could have run off to, you would have left me. Mm. And I feel like if I had felt like I had more of an out than like having to just go to my command and ask for like all this different paperwork and stuff to like early return of dependent, you know, the ERD paperwork and stuff like that, and the whole process that that was going to be, you know, I might have been more inclined to like drop the hammer too. But like those complications I think were enough to make us stick it out a little bit longer.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I feel like living overseas our first essentially, like within our first year of marriage, put um a barrier to exit. <laughs> I was gonna say a barrier to entry. But yeah, you're But right. really it was a barrier to exit because like I had said to you, you know, I want a plane ticket home for my birthday, you're like wait what oh my gosh what happened like is it really that serious like what is going like I don't want my wife to leave like the, it, it that was a wake-up call for it, me. it yeah it was a wake-up call it brought in a lot of different conversation I'm like yeah like literally this is how it felt like this is what I'm here for you know all the things that I've explained like I left everything to be here with you and I'm basically just an accessory to your life yeah and um I think it was, it was around about that time or shortly after that we did decide to get a dog because I'm like, I'm sitting here doing nothing all day, every day with my life. Like a companion would be nice, but, um, yeah, I think it was a blessing in disguise essentially, because I agree with you. If, if we were still, you know, here and I could have just like ran back to my parents or even moved in with my brother or, you know, if I had like somebody, to turn to during all that time that didn't involve thousands of dollars in plane tickets or, you know, you involving your command, like it, it would have made it so easy to get out. Yeah.
1: And it would have just proven everybody else. Right. And I'm glad that that didn't happen. So I, I mean, I'm almost ashamed that it took um, something like that to keep us from splitting apart. But, can we kind of talk about some of the stuff that brought us, began bringing us closer together? Um, I'm thinking specifically like when I got back from my deployment, when we tried expanding our family a little bit and that just sort of flopped.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's tough. It's tough to even say or to look at it in that light, I think, but I think I do believe that infertility helped a lot. It was one of i don't know if it was one of the first but it's one of the biggest times that i can remember that you and i developed this like instead of it was us against each other it was like us against the world it definitely kind of punctuated mentality. the
1: marriage yeah for sure
0: and i remember you know it was so so at, during this time that we're talking about Robbie Found out about um, his—he has a chromosomal microdeletion. I don't know if we've talked about that here on the podcast before. Um, It's a complicated genetics thing, Um, but it's—it results in male factor infertility, and this came out as news to us after whole year. Well, a year of trying, but that was after years of me asking you. To like start a family, to have a to have a baby. Like I wanted to be a mom. And you were no, 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 no. And then you were finally like, yes, to the point of you came home from a deployment and I was holding a sign that said, Welcome home. <laughs> it's baby making it, time. Baby making time. And then a year I still later got that sign. Yeah. A year later, um, no baby. And so we went to go find out, and that's what we found out was about you know, his male factor, infertility. And so I remember you were like, well, you can divorce me. I won't even be upset. And I think that was kind of like my thing. Like me asking for a plane ticket home, you're like, wait, what? And then you are like, no, you can divorce me. And I'm like, no, I'd be lost without you. Like-
1: I remember giving you the out thinking that being married to me was gonna limit all that you could possibly do. Like you wanted this child so bad. And I've just been given news like, yeah you, you ain't you're not that guy you're not that guy it's like well i'm not gonna i'm not gonna imprison this woman in this marriage with me when i can't give her the thing that she so deeply desires like in in like some weird warp sense i loved you enough to let you go for that mm-hmm. in that moment like that's that was what was going on there i said it yeah. out of love believe it or not
0: yeah no i know and in my mind, it was like instant rejection, not like you rejecting me, but like, I was just, I just rejected that thought. I was like, nope, like, that's not even something that I'm going to accept or consider or whatever. Like, and I think that was the moment for me of like, maybe it wasn't the moment. I mean, this is years into our marriage, guys. I said yes to marriage. Like we had, we were together for years. Like I went into marriage with the idea that we're never splitting up and i think that was just like another solidifying moment but going back to what i had said earlier is like i think this was one of the times that you and i realized that we were stronger we were like better together that we were stronger together and we were able to develop this like us against the world mentality where it was like it just made us bond even closer together which i think when you're talking about infertility, it's one of the things that actually
1: tears most people, tears tears people
0: apart. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, blame placing and whatever else. But, but for us, it was like, well, if, if we're not going to be able to have kids, you know, at least we have each other. And that made us bond even stronger together. And then it was like everyone and everything else was on the outside of, of us and our marriage. And nobody understood what we were going through or what we had gone through. And, and so I think it was, it was just a a bonding thing that really brought us together. But, but even still, I think it was through that time, like, I think that might've been, I could even say like the beginning of my relationship with God forming, but in a very faulty way, because my beliefs of God at the time were, Almost like the Disney fairy, fairy godfather, if you will, where every month during our infertility, I was like praying for a child mm-hmm. and then it didn't happen. And then I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, or like either God was punishing me or he was punishing me for something that I did. And so it was like this very legalistic mindset where it was like, if I if we weren't having a baby, it was obviously because something that I had did. Like oh, it was that's because I
1: cause an effect.
0: It was because I drank alcohol that month, or you know, it was because I it wasn't like, right
1: on the diet. Because
0: yeah. I was like a crazy, you know, living apart from the Lord teenager, or, you know, whatever else. I had a very legalistic mindset about who God was, but also a very like very Godfather mindset of who God was, but it. At that time, it opened up the ideas of exploring and praying and and then finding out that we couldn't have kids, I think, just brought us closer together. But then that like praying and and almost seeking a little bit was gone again for quite a while.
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely concur with that. Like, I remember being extremely angry after we found out that we were infertile, um, but the, the the one piece of like shining silver lining to it that I don't even know if I've really shared this with you that was like a that was a watershed moment for me because when I was you know deemed infertile and I'm I couldn't bless your womb with my seed and, and you didn't leave me. That was the first part of like the perceived plan in my head that I had kind of like anted with you uh, automatic negative thought where like we basically had gone off script like, oh, she's trying to get married, have a home and build a family with these kids. And yada, yada, I'm going to be the father and all this. And then I wasn't able to be the father in that colloquial way. And you still chose me. You still said, no, I'm still in this. Like, that's the moment that it, like, fully clicked with me. Like, it was fully baked in. Like, you were actually in the marriage to be with me. Even though you were asking for kids for years, it was, like, in my mind up to that point, I was just holding off this tidal wave of inevitability of, like, she's going to get me to have a kid at some point. She's going to get me to have a kid at some point. And, like, you're going to exact your will against me. It was like what it felt like. Like, I'm telling you, like, this is what it felt like for a while there. And then when you weren't going to, quote, unquote, get your way, instead of stamping your feet and having a hissy fit about it or leaving me, you just said, no, I'm in this marriage with you. I'm with you the whole way, and this is what our life is going to look like. And that's like a – I almost think you could call it grace where – you weren't going to get what you thought you were going to get. We didn't have, we weren't going to be able to do what we thought we were going to do. And instead of just getting angry with the other person, instead of you getting angry with me because I was not able to give you this thing, you were kind and gentle and understanding and you leveled with me. And that was like, that was like a new sensation. I wasn't used to that. And it was, a. Uh, it was the beginning of, for me, how we got to where we are today. Now, granted, there was a lot of, you know, it's a long, rocky road, but that was that was a good piece of it for me. I don't know if I ever shared that with you.
0: Mm. I don't think so. Hmm.
1: Well, now everybody knows. <laughs> and it's recorded, so I can't lie about it.
0: I think another thing was... um you getting out of the military. I think that really drew us a lot closer together. And it's not, it's not one of those things where I like gave you an ultimatum or anything to get out. I actually remember (laughs) one of the big things. Okay. So I remember a couple of things. One was you were saying, Through all of our infertility struggles, like we had waited so long to like get this referral and we go to the referral and it's a genetics counselor and they basically are explaining to you what's going on in your chromosomes. And we thought it was like our next step infertility appointment to figure out how do we find a way to guess? Like, yeah, how are we going to be able to have kids? And then we went to this appointment, this lady, like she was actually pretty ticked off that like. We ended up there and the military didn't explain to us what this appointment was. And it just like felt like not the right place for us. But also like just the discrepancy and like testing results and like just different things. Right. And so I remember leaving this appointment that we had waited so long for just like depressed. And we just went to Cambridge and spent like $500 on. I
1: don't know why I remember that (laughs) number, but we spent a lot of money that day. Yeah. sushi and and
0: all kinds of stuff. Bought gifts for our dog.
1: That was the most spoiled dog known to man.
0: Yeah. Came home, spoiled her whatever else. But so you were, you had this mindset of like, well, if the military isn't going to help me like.
1: Build my family. Have a
0: child and grow my family. Because essentially when we went back to the doctor after that, they're like. They're like, oh, no, we don't do that. We'll find out what's wrong with you. But, like, we do not cover any, like, fertility treatments IVF, or anything. Like, that's 100% ICSI. on you. And and it's going to be really expensive if you do it here in the U.K. So you're probably going to have to wait till you go back to the United States and, like, all of this stuff. And we were just, like, so put off by it, so frustrated. But So basically it was just, like, we lost all hope at that point. And I remember Robbie, like, if they're not going to help me, bring a new life into this world and like essentially like
1: yeah military says they're all about family but they'll send me off to
0: war and take my life but they're not going to help me like create life like that was one thing that i think really had started the trajectory to you getting out and then i remember you driving on base one day and the guy's like how how you doing or whatever and you're like living the dream whose dream
1: Yeah, that was a a mind blow.
0: We talked about that on one of the podcast episodes on the Intentional Mom Life with Jesus podcast. Um, We'll probably drop the link to that in the show notes if you wanted to go listen to that episode. But um, this whole live in the dream, whose dream? Like whose dream are you living? And Robbie's like, just blew his mind. Like whose dream am I living? And And it got him thinking. He's like, this wasn't my plan to do like life in the military and retire and... I just started thinking about a lot of things, but, but then he came around to this idea that like the military is going to be done in twenty years, but my wife is forever, and I think I really struggled mostly because I was young and we didn't know the Lord, and then we moved overseas and everything that we've shared already previously in this episode, that there's just a lot of, there wasn't premarital counseling. There was a lot of immaturity. We were living apart from the Lord. I had a lot of like, I was living in a state of um, coping mechanisms from trauma that I was ignoring at the time. I had a lot of broken friendships. I had a lot of anger. There was just so much brokenness and it wasn't a healthy space for me to be. And then... I think the third thing about getting out of the military was um, the the overseas listing came out and it was where we currently were. Yep. <laughs> or um, I think that was
1: it. Yeah. Or Korea. I think Korea was one of them. Yeah.
0: And then the stateside listing came out and it was like my not North Dakota, and you're like, nope, I'm out.
1: I actually just <laughs> got that. That came up in my Facebook feed a couple of days ago. Mm-hmm. Those, and I was like, yeah. And I remember even posting that. Well, you made my decision real easy for me. U.S. Mm-hmm. Air Force. A funny thing, I would have retired this summer if I'd have stayed in for 20. Wow. And if I had done that, like, the likelihood that you and I would be together, mm, I'm not 100% confident on it. What I can be 100% confident on and, like, really kind of backs this point up that you were just making, is like, those two boys that we have that we're raising right now would not be so.
0: The kids that I eventually drug and forced you to have.
1: Well, oh, here we go. <laughs> But, no, like, you were the, uh, I forget where the idea came from. It wasn't from me, but, like, I knew the military was going to end at 20 years. And the military is a jealous, jealous bride. She will take all of your free time. If you come in at 7 and you're you know, off shift shows up at three, you're not getting out of there before five, you might have to show up at five o'clock in the morning on a Saturday because somebody else got a DUI. Um, when I deployed, I was supposed to leave with like two more months notice. And because of a uh, paperwork snafu with another guy in one phone call in one afternoon, they changed his name for mine. And And I went from you're leaving in two months to you're leaving in two weeks on your wife's birthday. And instead of going away for four months, you're going away for six. And like just stuff like that and how I was constantly being like torn from you.
0: Yeah, I remember you were basically never home for dinner. It was like if you were home for dinner, it was cold and like had been sitting there and I'd been waiting for you. Or you were just home hours and hours late and I'm just like, what? Yeah." Yeah.
1: And, and, and if I had seen, like, a 20-year career all the way through, the military at some point was just going to spit me out. I mean, the military, it's not from death do you part. It's, well, maybe if you die, but hopefully not, and we'll give you a retirement at the end of it. Where you, I mean, I could be 60, I could be 90, you're going to be here. Mm -hmm. And seeing what it was doing to us from my perspective, that was a big factor in in the decision Even though I wasn't quite sure how it was gonna go when when I got out, which thankfully I did it ended up being a great decision I mean all things weighed
0: I'm glad you think that I do I think another um After
1: after I got out though, that was that's like a whole new chapter after I got
0: out. Yeah. Yeah That's what I was gonna talk about is like (laughs) speaking of like you got out of the military because you were like gone all the time we moved back to alaska oh man and we weren't even here a month
1: it was may 28th that i left and i started my first day of work may 1st it was literally 27 days Mm
0: -hmm. was it even may 1st like i thought we didn't get here till may 4th or something Mm -mm. it was may 1st so yeah, it was not even a month and Robbie's gone for six months in Dillingham, which is a little hop skip airplane. It's a remote away. village
1: you cannot drive to. It We're, is fifty miles of road. We drove all of it.
0: Where a pizza cost forty eight dollars and I could this, food for this myself was, every single day. This was eight years ago. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Pizza's over fifty bucks now. It's Ugh. Um anyways, he was gone. Our condo that we owned and had been renting out was trashed. My family was living with us. Then more of my family was living with us. Then a family friend was trying to live with us. And
1: yeah, there's like seven people living in a space built for like four.
0: And you were gone. And so we moved out and rented a space and I was trying to fix up the house and it was just all of this mess in my life. And I was working at the courthouse at the time and I was doing audio duplication for court cases. So I was like listening to them and recording them. And I, what had happened was I had had a major PTSD relapse from childhood trauma that I had been stuffing down and ignoring my entire life. And like throughout this time, I am doing my best trying to like keep my head above the waves. With my house full of people, my husband gone, never feeling more alone and lonely in my life. And I'm so incredibly grateful for the friends that I had that posted scripture on their Facebooks every day because I looked at them and I'm just like, man, there's like, I know each of them has had some crap stuff happen in, in their life at different times. And they were not drowning like I was. And so I downloaded a Bible app on my tablet at the time. And I remember laying in bed, reading it, and just going through this, like, devotion plan, which I still, to this day, I don't think I've completed it. I think it's still in my version app. <laughs> it's
1: kind of hilarious. Um
0: it was, I think it was called like the 60 to start or something. I could probably go back and look in my history and see if that was actually the first one, but it was confusing to me. And like, I wasn't going to church, but in that, but I was just praying. And then, um, I reached out to a counselor and I tried to find a Christian counselor and then I found someone. And then I started seeing a Christian counselor while I was reading the Bible and praying. And I was telling Robbie about this. And he was like, well, yeah, when he gets back from Dillingham, like he'd gladly go to church with me. And I was like, what really? Like I was kind of even afraid to tell him all of this stuff. But, um, I remember going into church and, and just having all of this PTSD and just trying to find this recovery and like all of these things all at once. And I was the hot mess of hot messes like I to this day still look back and do not know why you tolerated me during that time like you maybe were a total jerk when we first got married and like even when we were dating and after that but like I wish I don't even know why anybody wanted to be like within a 10 foot radius of me because I was just all of the all of the things wrapped up in one like swarm of a mess.
1: I can speak to that.
0: And I remember me oh, like I haven't. I even like begged you. I think one time to just divorce me and to like uh-huh. let me go live in a van down by the. I river can't wait something. to share the
1: story. Like, okay, go ahead. So remember how I you know reaching back a little bit earlier in the episode how I told you like how it really changed for me when you stayed with me through the infertility. Well, couple that with the fact that I have just made this burn the ships decision to leave the military there's no way i'm divorcing you now i just threw away a 20-year career a promising one where i was on a really good trajectory and i was guaranteed to have a retirement by the end of it and i was getting you know professional experience both technically and managerially like i was set up really well and i put that aside because i was going to pursue this life with you i'm not going to let you go because you're having a rough day 365 of them in a row that's not how that goes (laughs) but i also remember one night we were talking it was when i was in dillingham and you were on the phone and you were just sobbing and like you were broken down and you were just completely defeated. And it was everything that you had just listed. You're in this house. You don't feel like you're supported by anybody. But you're having to support everybody. And it's all falling apart around you. And th- these, these new things are coming up for you. They're not new. They're old. But they're like, they're they're new now. Because they weren't things that were being processed. And it was all at once. And here I am in a remote village an hour and a half plane ride away completely helpless like i can't just i can't just leave i can't just come see you without you know making some some huge impact on the way that we live our lives from here on forward and definitely nothing i can do in that moment and um that that was where a lot of like I don't know about gentleness necessarily but like compassion for you was like coming from i wasn't gonna let you go in that time and i do remember you saying that you were you should just leave me and i'm trash i have no value and i you know i should just take our van our 77 volkswagen bus that was such a sweet vehicle (laughs) and i just want to go live down by the river and i remember like laughing at you Mm -hmm. like it wasn't just like it was like guffawing like that was like one of the funniest things i'd ever heard like i'm not leaving you you are being silly for being silly right now and i don't really know actually how you took that like if you took like offense to it or if you were surprised i think I
0: was i think I was like
1: why is he laughing at me
0: ticked off like I was just further agitated i think but you
1: were tapping into anger a lot back then
0: Oh, yeah. It was my safety net, essentially. Yeah,
1: like it wasn't the armor of God. It was the armor of Sasha. (laughs) Just getting mad at all the things. I actually
0: remember before we moved back here when we lived in England, like my anger lasted long after we moved back here. But when we were in England, I remember multiple conversations we were having about how like I needed to go to anger management. But I knew the girl who worked as like reception or something in the like mental health clinic And I knew that she just like, loved to gossip. And I'm like, literally, if I go in there, and she was a friend of mine, but I was like, literally, if I go in there, everybody in the space is going to know. So it was like, we knew I had some, (laughs) you know, anger issues that were destructive and not helpful (laughs) towards myself or our relationship. Yet, I was in a position where I didn't see help as being the option. So anyways, fast forward to being back here and me being a hot mess and you refusing to let me go live in a van down by the river and divorcing me, Um, that I think really, it stood out to me as a time where you were choosing me. And I think that that just goes to show like one of the great things that we have done in this marriage is to continue to choose each other, to continue to allow ourselves to be checked by the other person in these like bigger instances, whether it's, you know, fighting about $86 at the grocery store or, you know, offering up divorce because we're broken people or whatever else is like, no, we're continuing to, to lean in, to listen and to choose the other person Mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over again
1: amen that's what marriage really is that's what premarital counseling i think should actually focus on it was like a trial by fire for you
0: and i oh okay so here's a big thing that we should probably mention in this episode we don't know what premarital counseling does focus on <laughs> yeah
1: comment below if you do because we we've still haven't been through on it
0: podcasts i don't know they
1: can <laughs> Okay, probably not.
0: You can leave a review.
1: Yeah, leave it in your review. You can email us at
0: faithfulfamilyfortress at Are, gmail.com.
1: That's probably going to be more effective. But a five-star review is always helpful, too.
0: Yeah. So we don't know what they cover in premarital counseling. But if we taught premarital counseling, yes. we know what we would cover. And that would be one of the things. Air five. Um, The other thing, I think, the other turning point, the thing that the biggest turning point, the thing that changed it all, was um, finding a church, going to church, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, well, being in our own respective unto. Bible studies, understanding what God and says about marriage um, in Scripture. You know, all the way from Genesis, like where we see Adam and Eve, like in their relationship all the way through you know what paul writes about loving and honoring each other and respecting each other and so on and so forth and then you actually did a really phenomenal bible study i did that i'm just saying it's phenomenal i don't know you walked through these three bible studies I don't know if it was the people that you were doing it with. I don't know if it was the content of the study itself. Obviously, there was some God and Holy Spirit in there, like transforming your heart. But like you went from this man who was very, very self-focused to a man who was like focused on God and just like so much of your value set changed, I think, after going through the every man a Warrior study.
1: Yeah. Every Man a warrior was a, a very, very big turning point for me. It was the first Bible study I'd ever done. And up until that point, remember I'd said earlier about like divorces and stuff like that. Like every example that I had, anything I had to emulate was toxic, broken in, in some way, like not helpful. And this was the first time I was ever given like good food, if you will. Like Hey, here's not just another, you know, another example of what not to do, but like here's what right looks like and here's kind of how you can get there. And here's other men that you can relate to and talk to and be real with, you know. And I mean, it was it was a new experience to to do that. I actually remember like the first Bible study I ever went to. Um, It was at a man's house, a good friend who has since passed away, tragically. um, But he's like, hey, do you want, like, a glass of water? And it was, like, it was weird to me that he didn't offer me a beer. Which sounds crazy now, in retrospect. But, like, every time I'd ever gone to a guy's house before that, it's like, hey, man, you want a beer? And this was, like, not that. So, that was, like, one big piece of it. But going through with the same group of guys for all three books i remember the second book was more about like parenting and we didn't have kids at the time so i'm like oh this isn't really relevant to me i'll just you know follow along actually learned a lot in that book before we even had our kids and i carry a lot of that stuff today but to have an actual foundation to like put good information to like i i'm glad you recognize it i just took it to heart and kind of tried to build on it from there what do you think was like a big like that was like a big factor for me like that bible study like what was was there like a big one for you
0: a big bible study
1: a bible study or just some sort of like momentous event something that changed or started fundamentally changing like who you were and how you operated like could you put it to anything or Are you just like, so Sasha that it's just, it's all your calling. You can just naturally change at will.
0: (laughs) No, I would probably say EMDR. Really? Yeah. Like it was, it was going to counseling and getting proper therapy from somebody who was like, and it was, it was, it was Ellie. She was a guest on my podcast Um, as well. She, she was the one who told me, and it's crazy. This is like the first week that we walk into church She had told me that I needed to lay down guilt and pick up God's grace. And then we went into church that first week. Like, Mm. we honestly, we thought we were both going to be struck by lightning. Like, if we were cats, the hair on the back of our neck would have been, like, standing up. Yeah, like, we were just like, oh, my goodness. What are What are we doing in here? Dirty sinners walking into this church and, like, whatever. Um And then we're in there and we're in the audience. And it was almost like this like supernatural experience for me that first time because pastor Grady was speaking about grace and he was like asking the audience questions and like these kids were answering and, um, but, but the whole sermon was about grace. I wish it was recorded. I don't think they were recording back then. No, it was too early. But, um, if I could go back and listen to that sermon again, I would love to, because it was all about grace and, Prior to this week, I'd never even heard of Grace other than it being, like, a girl's name.
1: To this day, I still think that was his most powerful sermon that we ever witnessed personally.
0: Like, it was a supernatural experience because for most of it, I could have swore, like, I was the only person in the audience. Like, everyone else was just, like, not even there or blurred out. Like, you would almost see this, like, as a cinematic thing in a movie where... Like, you know, somebody's sitting there in a room, but then just like all the people disappear. And it was literally a moment where like, I knew that God was real and was close and knew me because he was speaking directly through Pastor Grady, directly to me this first time that I had ever walked into church. Yeah. And I remember walking out and like you and I looking at each other and we were, I'm like, I would go back. And you're like, yep, me too. And it was just like kind of this instant thing. So I'm like, that was probably one of the things, but it was also while all that was happening, like, and shortly after, then I was going through EMDR therapy, which I think really helped me shift out of a lot of that stuff from my childhood trauma. But then it was just after that, I think it was just a lot of little tiny baby steps along the way that would take me, you know, probably another two hours on this podcast, if I were to break out into every single one of them. So I don't think it was any one major like transformative Bible study that I went through or anything like that. But there were, there were a lot of little things that even today I can look back and say, yeah, that was a moment. Yeah, that was a moment. Yeah, that was a moment. But it was just God guiding me through like every step of healing that I needed to get to who I am today. And I also don't think I'm done with that. <laughs> like, no, I don't think so. He's still he's still guiding me through a lot of that. But um I think uh, I don't even know. I feel like I could talk and talk and talk about this forever. But I'm like there were still, guys, even after we were believers, after we knew what marriage was all about, we still had these like missteps. We still hurt each other. We still have had fights or arguments and like
1: oh the valentine's day massacre was that last year two <laughs> years ago massacre. it was a pretty bad fight
0: it was but but again it goes back to it, even some of the things you said in our earlier earlier in this episode today in this conversation is like yep now because of the beliefs that you shared from way back then they're like we we haven't really had this conversation, this like specific conversation about it before. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah, I can see exactly why that conversation on that Valentine's day went the way it was. Yeah. And so now y'all are like, Oh my gosh, you got to tell us what was this Valentine's? What was this conversation? So in short, there's these kids. By the, by the way, all three of them are still there. Are you kidding me? No. So that's
1: heartbreaking.
0: Um, A local organization here in Alaska called Beacon Hill works with um, the very close to the foster um, system. And so they take kids, usually older kids or sibling groups that have been in foster care for a long time. Um, They're usually legally free, which means their parents' rights have already been terminated and they they have it's called the heart gallery where they do photo shoots of these kids and like extra interviews and whatever else and the heart gallery is like this traveling profile of kids that goes around like your church can host it your business can host it whatever else um and they have a website for it and and you can go see the the kids that are they're waiting for a forever home a family that is that can be theirs And there's these three siblings and they've been on there for a long time and it breaks my heart. And so I remember telling Robbie about these three kids are still on there. And like Robbie was triggered like in this moment. And he started, it was a very calm conversation at first, but just the words that were coming out of his mouth were Robbie has said before, he likes to be just as surprised by the things coming out of his mouth as other people. (laughs) Like, no filter. Sometimes it's funny. And, yeah. Not today. I think it's about humor. But in that moment, it was not. It, It was a lot of very hurtful things coming from these, like, internal agreements. It was just like the enemy had a hold on him. And there were thoughts that he had, maybe feelings that he was having that turned into thoughts that were just festering and he just decided that day he was gonna open up the floodgates on Valentine's as we're out to dinner. And I'm nothing like, if
1: not punctual timing.
0: I was sitting there bawling my eyes out because all I did was bring up these kids again. And like I'm like, we can just meet them. It doesn't mean we're adopting them. Like it doesn't mean like all of these things. And Robbie so it was about those like what you had said about you know one of these days she's just gonna make me have kids against my will or whatever else <laughs> and how, like and
1: at this point in time we already had solo
0: yeah we already had one kid we were already in the adoption journey again weren't we
1: mm-hmm.
0: like and and I had just brought up these kids and it turned into this big old argument and Robbie said a lot of mean hurtful things like digging up stuff from the past and whatever else and like and just making these um
1: Global statements. Global
0: statements that were like, well, for one, that's not even close to true. So you need to check your thoughts before spewing that kind of just nastiness out towards me. So, anyways, we are still human. We are still broken people. I mean, we're flipping awesome. We're amazing. We are best friends. We get along ninety nine percent of the time. I think we're pretty great at.
1: I think you're pretty awesome. All
0: kinds of stuff, you know, parenting and. And we're hard workers and all of this. Like, we're not bad people, but.
1: And extremely attractive.
0: We're, we're also not perfect. Um, and I don't believe anybody is. So if anybody makes you think that they are, it's not true. Um, so anyways, that was the Valentine's thing. Um, why did we get on this topic? Oh, because we do. We still fight. And, yeah. you know. and And by fight, I mean have disagreements. That's really what I'm saying. Like,
1: yeah, at this point in time, it's more about like, I'm feeling a certain way passionately, and I'm going to communicate that point to you, and then you're going to communicate that counterpoint back to me, and then we're going to come to an understanding by the end of it. Not an agreement necessarily, but
0: yeah, sometimes we agree to just not talk about it for at least right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's money, sometimes um, it's kids.
0: But, but what we did come to an agreement on through all of this is that the D word is not part of
1: our it's never okay
0: conversation anymore and this was years and years and years ago because i think we would just throw it out like to kind of hurt each other like when we a were little bit when first, we yeah. were like in the midst of an argument and i'm this is like 5 to 7 plus years into our marriage where it was like we're in an argument like the valentines day one yep. and it's like whatever let's just get a divorce and it was just like whoa like i thought we were just having a little argument here and now you're saying this so um we we came to an agreement many years back but it was still many years into our marriage that like w- we agree that that's just nonsense like neither one of us ever want that to happen nope. so let's just eliminate the word divorce from our vocabulary like it's just it, it's not even funny it's not even a joke there's there's no you know that's not a weapon
1: that we use. Right.
0: Yeah. So I think that was another really helpful thing for us and turning point and coming to that. Because it was. It was a weapon that we just removed from each other. And it made it so much easier to maybe fight fair. We, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I
1: love that you use that term. Fight fair. A fair fight is, is definitely... Um, the, the the correct term to use in this context because i know a lot of people that would just they would wield that quickly mm-hmm.
0: and i think too like i don't know why you fight fair or like even fighting like i'm thinking of like mma fighters and <laughs> like
1: oh, domestic
0: violence shot. and stuff and i just want you guys to know there ain't none of that going on like
1: yeah she doesn't hit me with a chair I don't come off the top rope.
0: Didn't you say, I remember one day, actually, when we were in England.
1: Oh, boy. (laughs) You're not going to get me in trouble, are you? No.
0: We were in England. And I don't even know why, what it was about, why we were there. But, like, we were in your commander's office. and
1: commander's office? Yeah.
0: But it it wasn't like nobody was in trouble or anything. And then... Like you had said something and then, I don't know if it was like the first shirt or the commander or someone had said something about, about, or I'm not going to need to call the first shirt or something like that. Or there's not going to be domestic violence here or anything. And he's like, and then you had said something about me, like being an abuser in front of your commander or something. uh, Yeah.
1: You don't have to worry about me hitting her. Like uh, if if it's going to be domestic abuse, it's going to be her hitting me.
0: was like oh my goodness you said that to your commander like
1: i was trying to diffuse tension that wasn't there but at the same time like let's be honest who's the angry one
0: i was the angry one. at a
1: girl i love how you're just so honest and own it that's who you were
0: mm-hmm. it's not
1: who you are
0: yeah like
1: most of the time I'm,
0: I'm still a passionate person i would say that's a good way to put it but like anger is not near to me anymore
1: no you spend time being like annoyed and aggravated because you have a four year old but it's not <laughs> the same kind of like it's not anger i mean every mom listening to this is going to be like god i can relate to that girl mm-hmm. but it's not like this fuming fiery like grudge holding simmering like
0: burn that like it used i to used be. to be
1: it would be days if you like, were mad at somebody like
0: any one little thing could could like flip the switch into me being in anger and i could not get out like it was just like that is yeah, easy who and i impossible was to be out. for days it was just like and you know maybe it wasn't always days i don't know you would probably know better because i was it
1: depended on the subject and who it was right and if it was like somebody that was like repeating anyways we're not here to talk about <laughs> how angry you used to be
0: right so i guess just as a recap um some of the stuff that was really helpful for us, if, if we were to write the premarital counseling handbook. because Maybe
1: we will one day. Maybe
0: we'll write our own. If you want premarital counseling from us, let us know.
1: Premarital counseling from people who never took it themselves.
0: <laughs> um, we talked about those difficult circumstances and difficult seasons that we've been through. That drew us closer together. We talked about your advice from your stepdad, Mm -hmm. that it's always better to work it out. It really is. Um, We talked about making decisions for each other, like prioritizing each other in our lives over other things. We talked about continuing to choose each other every day. Mm -hmm. We talked about finding a church Knowing God, knowing what His Word says, doing Bible studies for Robbie, in particular the Every Man a Warrior Bible study was fantastic, and we talked about eliminating divorce from our vocabulary so that we could essentially know fully that we're both committed to each other, that that's not an option, yeah, and to help us fight more fair because in reality like when you're a married couple like you're gonna have arguments
1: well you have to you don't have a good marriage if you're not fighting sometimes And i would add to that too um like everybody talks about like unconditional love like you should have unconditional love for you know your spouse your kids yada yada but i think one thing that we have found is that you have to have like unconditional acceptance for that person you had unconditional acceptance for me when I was infertile and I felt that and I had unconditional acceptance for you when you hit that like real deep pit of depression and loss of self-esteem and value like I came through I was like no, no no like I'm gonna be here and like we we had that and I think that was like you can't fabricate that you have to like discover that as you go along that might take some time and you need to get there. But that was, I think a a big piece of it.
0: Yeah. And lastly, I want to point out communication because I think that's been a really huge thing for us. Um, is just, Being able to communicate with each other, whether it's, like, this is something that's bothering me, this is something that's not okay, whatever else. Like, this is something that hurt me, whatever the communication needs to be, but also the other person being receptive and being willing to take that into a place of of Mm self-reflection and, like, okay, maybe I do need to check some things here. We actually had
1: that happen a little bit earlier today. Mm -hmm. I was working on a house project. It was a fan in my kid's bathroom. That's going not great for me. And I was really wound up. And we were talking and going on about some stuff. And at one point I remember saying like, Sasha, I'm triggered. I can't have this conversation right now i'm really vulnerable to say some things that i know i'll regret and i don't want to do that so i need to cool off i need to get out of here for a few minutes i think i went and took a shower which was good because i was like covered in asbestos and all sorts of stuff Mm -hmm. probably not asbestos but that was like i think that was effective communication because you didn't press the subject any further and when i emerged i was a lot more able to to handle things
0: Mm -hmm. yeah and, and I guess lastly, we want to share this word of warning that mm-hmm. just because you've gone through premarital counseling doesn't guarantee marriage success just as much as foregoing marriage counseling. Like in our case, because I don't even think we knew it was an option. <laughs> um, it's not going to guarantee failure either. So there are... Even though premarital counseling is a powerful and useful tool that Christian couples can go through and have in their arsenal.
1: You're going to get out of it what you put into it.
0: Yeah. And there genuinely. are. genuinely. There are a lot of things that a lot of long term um, marriages, husbands and wives, could probably share as their. Most successful moments or successful tips, or you know, and most important things in marriage, and they're everywhere. I know the number is decreasing in our culture today and has been for quite some time, as Robbie had pointed out, um, but they are still everywhere, especially if you belong to a local church, which is highly recommended then there are going to be some elderly people in there that have been married longer than you could ever imagine and and you can just have even a simple conversation with them of like what's the most important thing in marriage like what's the most important thing to know what what what's the most important thing to do whatever else um and and even asking for a mentor or something like that could be super super helpful so
1: I almost feel like marital count, marriage counseling should be something like, you know, like doctors have uh, continuation training and like,
0: you know, mm. tax
1: preparers and stuff have, mm-hmm. you know, continuing, continuing education. education. Yeah. That should be like a thing for marriages because, like, you, you do have a continuing education as you grow. You're getting older, you're raising kids, you're raising more kids, you're helping raise grandkids. Um, it's the
0: point of fellowship and like life groups. It and... is and Bible studies and doing life together and going to church and listening to sermons and
1: reading the the Bible together. Yeah.
0: I think it's just, it goes, it goes back to the point of like we're built for relationship. We are built for community and we can't neglect that.
1: You really can't.
0: It's very simple.
1: Well, this has been absolutely our longest and probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I'm uh, I'm excited to have spent the time with you here and excited to have spent the time with you guys here. And we hope that this episode maybe reached you guys in a, a fundamentally nice, wonderful place. And if it was helpful, let us know. We would love to get a review from you guys and hear what you have to say. If, uh, if you really love what we had to say, love if you'd leave a five-star review. If you have a friend or family member, somebody else, Maybe your spouse you want to listen to or you want them to hear what we have to say. uh, Go ahead and share this with them. We would absolutely love that. And above all else, remember, it's not the years in your life.
0: It's the life in your years.